Welcome to ASME TechCast, where we bring you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Carlos Gonzalez, Special Projects Manager at Mechanical Engineering Magazine. Today's podcast is sponsored by Fictive, and we'll be speaking with Todd Taylor, Vice President of Application Engineering. Fictive is a digital manufacturing ecosystem that has become a go-to destination for engineers who need high-precision mechanical parts at unprecedented speeds. In the last seven years, Fictive has manufactured over 12 million parts for some of the most innovative companies in the world, building the next rockets, self-driving cars, medical devices, and IoT devices. Today, Todd highlights how digital manufacturing ecosystems will become the future of manufacturing by offering robust and flexible supply chains for on-demand manufacturing. These benefits will not only favor startups and smaller firms, but can change how larger manufacturing firms do business. Hi, Todd, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Carlos. Happy to be here. So why don't we start off by you giving us a bit of background on you, you know, a little bit about your engineering experience and how you arrived at Fictive. Sure. Um, so going way back, like 20-something years ago, um, I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree from Northeastern University in Boston. Northeastern actually had a, um, a co-op like internship program that was kind of core to its, uh, its, its whole development of students. And uh, I'd actually found myself working in product development consulting firms during my scholastic years. Graduated essentially with a job at one of those firms. Spent the next about 15 years in Boston working at a few product development firms. Um, the most recent of which was uh, also owned by a manufacturing company. So for the last 10 years, before joining Fictive, I uh, ran engineering teams at a product development firm owned by a manufacturing company. And uh, so the manufacturing company was JBuild, um, which is probably second or third largest contract manufacturing solutions provider in the world. I knew a lot about product design and developing and mechanical engineering, um, building teams to do that as well. And um, learn pretty quickly how those things translate into manufacturing and massive scale. So you're here to talk to us today about on-demand digital manufacturing, right? That's mm -hmm. Fictive's specialty, and that's the ecosystem that you guys operate within and a lot of your customers operate within. But first, how can we define on-demand digital manufacturing? Is it only 3D printing? Does it involve other levels of manufacturing methods? And then how does that relate from the small scale to the large scale? Sure. Ignoring manufacturing process for a minute, philosophically, on-demand manufacturing is being able to order a manufactured good um, at the time you need it, at the speed you need it, and at the quality levels you need it, um, hopefully without paying exorbitant fees for that. I'll contrast that with traditional manufacturing, which is all about <clears throat> driving prices low enough to be economically viable, but with the CapEx investment and the forecasting and the inventory management necessary to do that, what you end up with is a massive focus on forecast to try to build just enough um, manufacturing good to satisfy your customer demand, which you don't know when you make the order. So you have to order a lot. Let's say you think you're gonna sell 10,000 of something. You order 12,000, you only sell 6,000, well, you've got the inventory um, stocking costs of all that stuff. You've got waste if you never sell it, right? The other flip side of that is you think you're going to sell 10 
and you need to sell 15 and you only build 12. Now you've got customers that want to buy your product and can't, right? So the reason manufacturing companies at scale need to do that is they have an enormous amount of CapEx investment, headcount, floor space, inventory, et cetera, to manage. And they do that so that they can keep their margins reasonable, but the end price to the customer and the OEM down. On demand, however, <clears throat> you don't stock all that stuff. Um, if you do that in a digital ecosystem like Fictive does, you also don't own the CapEx. You don't have the floor space and the overhead associated with manufacturing the good. So assuming we can, in a lean way, have the right material on demand to do the build, the machine time and the capability to make the part and then the logistics to go and ship it when it's needed. What's missing there is the massive store of material to start and the massive store of material to satisfy demand um, after the build. One of the misconceptions, right, when people hear on demand, they automatically think, oh, that means additive. That means that's something that I could, you know, create and print. It doesn't mean you know, this sort of change in the supply chain. But that's really what you're talking about. You're yeah, talking about a disruption in the, in, within the supply chain. Exactly. You'll notice I didn't use a process name in that story. Now, additive does happen to lend itself. Um, the beauty of additive is you're converting a, you know, raw material, in quotes, um, at the place and at the point you need it in many cases, right? We could have a printer at the th at the corner store and make an order of a, door handle or something and go pick it up the same day, right? Um, yes, I would call that on demand. But the same is true for, you know, subtractive processes. We do that with CNC machining. If we've learned anything right from this last year in 2020, is that something does have to change because we saw major disruptions within the supply chain and the reliable system that people had counted on for everything was no longer reliable. So how did on-demand manufacturing kind of answer the call to the supply chain disruptions that, that occurred in 2020? Yeah, a couple of ways to think about it. One is the, the sort of, um, I call it like the democratization of the, the RSQ, meaning when our business puts out a request for someone to quote and build something, it goes to, it's dispersed across, let's say, hundreds of potential suppliers, right? If you're a, a GSM and a traditional manufacturer or LEM, how many phone calls and how many dead ends are you going to run into before you find your solution, right? There probably is someone out there that can build your, pro your part or your product, but do you already have them onboarded? Do you have their phone number in your Rolodex? Are they the first one you called? Probably not. Um, so there's that massive time waste in the logistics of like just figuring out where you're going to do something versus a digital eco ecosystem, which leverages the sort of community of builders, right. Of, of manufacturing partners. Um, we get to that solution much quicker. One, two is the, um, regional di diversification that allows you. So during COVID, when the spike happened in Asia, we pushed a lot of manufacturing to North America. When the spike came up in North America, we pushed it to Asia, right? So we were able to kind of level set and meet the demand. The ability to transition your area of manufacturing is crucial, right? In this new sort of on-demand system that, that we're transitioning towards, that being able not to be impacted by the problems happening in one particular region, the shift of leaving China, not necessarily maybe reshoring, but 
also coming to different areas within the world, right? India um, is definitely an up and coming a country that's going to see a lot of um, progress in the manufacturing world. But being able to kind of like almost jump between these manufacturing sectors is really going to give fuel the fire, right, of the on-demand manufacturing platform. Agreed, yeah. So my next question involves, um, you know, the the additive sector a little bit, but it's a larger question really about prototyping. What is the role of prototyping within the on-demand manufacturing world, right? I think, you know, in 2020, 68% of users use additive manufacturing for prototyping, but it kind of seems that on-demand manufacturing and prototyping go perfectly together, that there's a way that people can design quicker with faster prototypes in hand, whether it's additive or injection molding or whatever. How does prototyping and on-demand manufacturing kind of blend? Yeah, it's interesting because um, in a lot of ways, in our ecosystem, there's not a lot of difference. The idea that you can have either a faster cycle to your design and test or more cycles in the same amount of time to your design and test, right? Both can work. Um, is great. That kind of fits the prototyping world. Um, but in many cases, the technologies and the processes we're using to build those prototypes are the production process as well. So once you get, again, back to the quality hurdle, if you can get your organization to like understand that the quality standards will still be met and we can onboard a company that's got an ecosystem um, to do that work now we're in a point where there's a blurred line and frankly um, it's not a pain for amazon if you order like one bag of peanuts or a hundred bag of peanuts right it's it's they would rather you buy a hundred obviously but the process on their end doesn't really change, does that make sense? And they're not gonna say no because it's too low a volume or too high a volume, does that make sense too? So um, I view it as <clears throat> more, more than a blending, it's almost the same. On the, on the production side, that's beautiful because of the speed and the quality and um, the amount of time you can save in that world. Mm -hmm. On the prototyping side, there's a big benefit as well, which means you're getting in many cases, production level parts for a prototype. So you might have, I might have said 10 years ago, yeah, I'm going to print those parts, right? I'm going to SLA, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get them. I know they're not going to be perfect. I'm going to try what I need to try. I'm going to assign some failures to my design and some failures to that part that I got that didn't quite do what I needed to do. Today, if I can get an injection mold of the same uh, injection molded part, the same part, much better quality and much more production like in two weeks i might just do that that's impressive right that's a, that's a level of prototyping i don't think a lot of people are gonna are accustomed to yet that idea that i can get not just a prototype but a quality real life world prototype that i can test run my some you know run my diagnostics on run my analysis and then iterate it faster I think engineers today are still used to, no, that's going to take months. <laughs> you know, oh, that's going so to take yeah, a long time. Sorry to interrupt, but what's faster? Getting your 3D part in three days, testing it, having your model break and having to do that again, or getting an injection molded part in 12 days, right? And having that test go well. What's the full cycle time of your test and, and your results, right? That's that's the way I would look at it. Well, I think it's, it's I, I totally agree. And I think, it's the fact that engineers need to know that that's an option available yep. to them, right? And so 
Speaking, you know, and, and on that same vein, how can manufacturers today leverage on-demand manufacturing for future projects? Like what should they start doing today to make sure that they can use it? Like, let's say, let's say there's a big manufacturer, they're in the middle of designing a part and they're like, you know what, we want to do this at scale. We don't want to create a ton, you know, of parts and have an inventory. We want to produce this at scale. What can they do today to prepare for that? What's interesting. So for the, to me, at least as an engineer, so your engineers in the audience, I don't think they need to do a lot different. Um, I think they need to, you know, race toward that finalized design, like they're always asked to do. Um, those manufacturers or the OEMs, th- th- what they really need to do is get their processes aligned to this new world of on-demand manufacturing. Um, it's a shame to think you could do that all along the way and then get to the point where you're ready to like get production quotes and realize your system doesn't accommodate uh, a digital ecosystem approach to on-demand manufacturing, right? You, you you will waste too much time going and trying to on the ground, let's say, feed on the ground audit 15 suppliers that are really just doing the one build that you would normally go to one supplier for, which is the way we might do it, right? Um, we have audited them all. They're all meeting our quality standards and we're the manufacturing or manufacturer of record, but there are many large companies that aren't quite adjusted to that yet. Will they get there? I firmly believe they will. Absolutely. That's why one of the reasons I joined the company. Um, but I think that is the barrier, frankly. I, so the luxury for the engineer is, you know, you should be able to just use these tools anytime you feel they're necessary in your development cycle. Um, it's your counterparts on, um, you know, supplier quality, um, finance, like those are the folks that are going to need to like turn their head a little bit and look at the world slightly differently to get this really ramped up. But technologically, there's nothing in the way of it, frankly. Agreed. I think we as an enge- we as an engineering community have reached a point where the technology now is feasible, right? It's in okay. place. It's, it's, it's there. The digital transformation that has happened in 2020 is, is just boosted it more. So now we have this, we, we, people that weren't are now definitely connected together. And now these tools are in place. It's just a matter of a culture change. The engineers are responsible for becoming aware of it. Right. So, you know, listening to us talk or going and reading these articles, I think that's incumbent upon this, this audience and, and the people who understand these technologies at a deep level and know how to utilize them. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, then help communicate to their organization why there's a benefit here, why we should do this. Well. Todd, thank you so much for your time today, and I'm glad that you were able to join us today on ASME TechCast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to ASME TechCast. To learn more about Fictiv and to get an instant quote for custom mechanical parts, visit Fictiv.com. That's F-I-C-T-I-V.com. And to listen to other episodes of ASME TechCast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or your favorite podcasting platform.